Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your grace towards us. And this morning I'm praying especially that you will open the eyes of our understanding, that we would understand truly who you've made us to be, who we are when we really fully surrender to you, who we are when we really get close to ourselves and to others. So, Father, I pray that your grace would come and that we would hear what you have to say to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so once I get organised with the slide, you'll see that the first one I've got is, who are we? And I think this is a really great question for us. As a church that's really only just over three years old, I counted, and it's three and a half years since there were seven of us gathered in that um, hall there, in the banquet room. Just seven of us on the 9th of November, it was, 2014. And then about... I don't know, five or six months later, along came Church Unlimited and we became Church Unlimited and by then we had about 70 of us and then very shortly we came into the hall. So we're a young church and for some of us we've come from all sorts of different backgrounds and for some of us, no matter how um, seasoned we are, our canvas we can think it's a bit blank. We can't quite see what God's got for us next, or even now, some days. And I want to talk to that this morning. It's the guy looking at his blank canvas. You know, at the beginning of the year, I started to think, all right, so it's not a blank canvas at all, God. We've got all these beautiful um, signs that we've got up here. So let's see if we can understand what these mean. And so I took the opportunity one day to go to Tark, down to Tark and chat to him about it. I said to him, whatever do you mean by apostolic influence, please? Can you explain this? We sit in front of it week after week. I want to understand it better. And so just a bit of a promo. Uh, with his guidance and um, with a lot of searching of the scriptures, I've actually written um, a series of studies on this that in our study group, our life group, we've been going through it. And really just asking questions, thanks um, John, really asking questions, what do each of these sayings mean for us and how can we connect them and how can we really start to dig in and say this is what Church Unlimited um, Kaitai means, this is what it means for us, this is what, it, what we're going to look like. We're go- actually going to be an apostolic influence in this place. It's not... Tark is the apostolic influence. It's we are the apostolic influence. Isn't that exciting? I'm really excited for that. That's what I put up my hand for way back at the beginning. Okay, I don't want to just be playing little church. I don't even really care about numbers, but boy, I really care about influence. I've lived here for 65 years, give or take 10 in Auckland and three somewhere else. I'm I'm committed to this place, this is home, and I want to see God's power exerted in my life, my whanau's life, and the surrounds. I sow into it every day, all these teenagers know that. I'm there pushing away, working away to see God's grace, and I really see some things happening. So your name, you are called to be an apostolic influence. We could say, okay, maybe my position or my attendance or my role in this church is kind of it. 
And maybe we could do gifting surveys, we could have prayer, we could have prophetic utterance, we could do all sorts of things and kind of come to the conclusion, well, I'm pastoral or I'm prophetic or I'm really cheerful so I'll be great on the door. But And so we could define ourselves in terms of uh, what kind of thing we do in church or in youth, yeah? So we could say that's who we are. But um, while I was down in Auckland a couple of weeks ago now with some of these young guys doing a high ropes course, I was sitting there watching them and reading my devotions on my phone, which is awesome because it's the New King James Version. I absolutely love it. And I was reading Numbers chapter 24, and it totally struck me with a key as to how we can define ourselves and how we can see our identity as more than just somebody who does a job, somebody fills a role, somebody who outworks their personality. All of that defines us, but according to the word, there's a whole lot more. And so I've got some cartoony pictures here to show a story, tell a story. There was a guy whose name was Balaam, and he was a professional seer. It was his job. So there was a very worried king. He doesn't look very worried there. He looks really happy because he's found somebody who's willing to be paid, he thinks, to say what he wants. So Balaam's grinning because he's going to earn some money and the king's people are winning because, oh gosh, he's going to say what we want him to say. He's a seer. But this is Balaam in his bed and here's God saying, "Uh -uh, no you don't. That's not what I want to say at all. And so Balaam's going, oh yikes, this is a bit different from what I thought. So I love the grin on his face here and the look on his eyes. He's kind of like, oh, well, never mind, I'll go anyway. God said, don't go, but I'm going. And the donkey's got his head ahead. He's a real faithful donkey. And the donkey's wiser than Balaam because he actually can see the angel. You know the story. And then Balaam sees the angel because God opens his eyes. And he's going, oh, horrors. I can't go where I want to go and do what I want to do because God's stopping me. Oh, how can I be a professional seer if this is what's going on? And so his response is he falls flat on the ground and just kind of like, oh. And then he's got a problem is when he gets up and he's standing there by his donkey, he's going, oh, now what? And the angel says, well, look, you can go but you can only say, say what God says to say, all right? So the king's still got a problem because he wants Balaam to curse Israel because he's scared that they're going to beat him. But God says to Balaam, only say what I'm going to say. So progressively, Balaam hears God and says what he said progressively, he kind of catches on that there's a message in what God's saying. And the message is very, very clearly that God loves Israel. God wants to bless Israel. God thinks amazing things about Israel. Now, we could kind of parallel that with this place, couldn't we? We can hear lots of people saying, oh, the north, or oh, those kids, Oh, teenagers of the north. Oh, 65-year-olds of the north. 
oh, settlers of the north. Oh, the doctors up north or the teachers up north or the whanau up north or the grandmas up north or whoever you are, you. The business owners up north, the dentists up north. You know, the whole bit. It's kind of like, oh. But hey, God has got amazing things for us. He's said it a million times. He's said it, he's said it, and said it. And so here we go. And, you know, that all that story kind of takes in Numbers 23, and then we get to Numbers, the beginning of Numbers 24, and this is exactly what Balaam says. He's woken up. It says, let me read it properly. Goodness me. It says, Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he didn't resort to sorcery as at the other times, but turned his face toward the desert. When Balaam looked out, And saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he uttered his oracle. And this is what he uttered. He said, the utterance, or the Bible says, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of a man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the word of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside. And then there's a whole lot of the cool things that God thought about Israel. Now that is a totally different falling down before God than the first time he fell. When the donkey played up and he was trying to get the donkey to go, he fell flat on his face. It was kind of like desperation. Oh God, this time... He falls flat on his face with his eyes wide open because now he sees. Oh, my word. This is what God has to say. And that's how I would love to be defined. I would love to be defined as somebody who actually saw or sees what God wants to do and I'm falling on my face because I'm consecrating myself to God. I'm doing whatever I'm doing by faith can't do it without him but I've got my eyes wide open I see the hassles I see the challenges I see the difficulties I see the hurt the pain I see the triumphs I see the excitement I see the loss I see how awesome everybody is or how troubled everybody is but I'm flat on my face with my eyes wide open seeing what God can do about it as well that's what I reckon it would be cool for us to be defined as. So, you know, we could be a little bit tough on poor old Balaam and we could say, well, he was a bit deaf in the first place, wasn't he? But I've got a picture of a diary there because I just want to tell a little bit of an anecdote. There's something that happened about 20 years ago now. It seems a long time ago, but it doesn't seem that long to me. I'd been um, teaching at Abundant Life just as a volunteer and it kind of got a bit hoo-ha of trying to set up secondary because it was only me and just a few kids and I had to teach everything. And, oh, my goodness, and my kids were getting older. They were teenagers. I need to earn some money. So I went to Kaido College. Okay, so there I am teaching away. And I'm thinking, oh, it's about 17 years since I was doing this. I think I'll pick up the ropes from where I left. So when I left full-time teaching at a state school earlier, I'd done half of the training to be a school guidance counsellor because I was really interested in helping the kids I taught at Mangani College. 
And so I thought, good, I'll finish that. So to do that, I had to be appointed as a dean. So I'd apply and they'd say no. I think, oh, okay. I'd apply. They'd say no. I think, oh, darn. I thought they thought that I was just too, I don't know, Pākehā or Wussi or something. And I remember one day, it was so funny, this big dude that I'd taught at Māngari College came in. He was now a dad of a kid at Kaira College. And, you know, his kid was, was challenged in class. And so I had to have a meeting with the dean of the head of science, I think it was, the head of science and me and this guy. And I didn't know that he was the dad. I'd kind of forgotten him. But he walked in, he goes, oh, it's you. Gives me an enormous hug. He was big. You know, <laughs> Dean kind of looked at me and thought, oh, maybe she's not so wussy after all. Well, no. Anyway, meanwhile, I was kind of seeing that what I was seeing at Cotter College, I thought we could do well at Abundant Life. So this is 20, 22 years ago. So on the one hand, God was showing me something. But on the other hand, I was like Balaam. I was quite determined I was going to do something else. And some of us have moments or times or even years like that. I had three years like that. So every time I went forward for prayer, the, the answer for prayer was, the way the people would pray was, pray that you will do God's will, that you will hear God's will, that you will obey God. Well, I thought I was. <laughs> Wasn't, I was in church every week. I thought I was obeying God. Okay, I'm going to apply again. So I applied again. And this particular morning, <laughs> so funny, I'll never forget it, sat up in bed and I thought, oh, I suppose I better pray about this because it doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> so I prayed about it. And immediately the scripture came into my mind. There is an open door of effective ministry for you. That's one of what God said to Paul. I thought, oh, okay. So it's not this door, is it? Okay, I'm meant to go back to abundant life. Okay, cool. So <laughs> I went to the interview and said, nah, sorry. And by that time they decided I wasn't a wuss and the principal swore. <laughs> Such a funny story because I had to then go back to abundant life. It was in Sheridan and Irene and um, Danieta were coming into year 12 and there was nothing set up for sixth form. I had to, at the beginning of the year, set up all the courses, contact the NCQA, and then teach it all. I was like, oh gosh, me and Terry Swart. But God called me back to do that, and I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah? But it took me to see it. I didn't see it. But it took me time to see it. I didn't kind of realise that I'd taught all the different subjects I did at Kaurau College, which was several to kind of catch on that I could do it well, yeah? So God kind of gives us a process sometimes. My next slide is poor old Balaam looking surprised and and the donkey looking equally surprised. Sometimes God surprises us, yeah? It's not how we think it's necessarily going to be. And so my next two examples are old ones, but I think they're goodies. This one is a picture of a whole bunch of ladies who were life group leaders in Yongi Cho's church. Who's heard of Yongi Cho? It was too ancient. Okay, Yongi Cho, quite a while ago now, he had the biggest church. Now, the way he got such a big church was doing something that was totally different from his culture. In his culture, the men were expected to do everything. 
And so he went to the men and he said, I believe that we'll have a fantastic church if we have life groups, if we join together in small groups. And the men said, nah, that's what we employ you for. You're the pastor, not going to. So I thought, oh, okay. Now what? And the Holy Spirit said to him, talk to the women. So he talked to some women and they said, yay, of course, we'd love to. And so he formed it as process of sending out women two by two through all the different apartment buildings in Korea ended up with this fantastic huge church I grew up on that story women can do lots second story is David Wilkinson has anybody heard of David Wilkinson yeah David Wilkinson was an amazing guy who set up teen challenge and other ministries um, with street youth in New York but he started off just as a country preacher He was in his mid-twenties, and he was given a church that had 50 people in it. He developed it to 250. He was still in his twenties. You read his story. God spoke to him. God worked with him. But then he got bored. Sit in his house, look out at his fantastic new church building, have his thriving congregation. He was bored. And he said, okay, God, I'm restless. What can I do? And then one night he was watching late night TV, which he used to think was his well-earned relaxation. And he said, "Um, I wonder what would happen if I prayed instead of watching TV. So he set himself that task. He said, okay. And he still wasn't sure if it was God. And he said, well, God, if it's really you, you know, I'll put out a fleece and, you know, I'll put my TV out for sale and if it... It's really meant to happen. It'll, it'll sell for $100 straight away or something. So it did. And he said, oh, okay, God, so you really want me to pray every night. So he used to go to a study and pray for two hours every night. Now, that's something I could do because I sit and watch the Commonwealth Games or whatever, you know, which is well-deserved relaxation, I think. But sometimes I think, oh, gosh, what about David Wilkerson? If we're really going to be an apostolic influencer, guess what? These guys were given to prayer and the word. So, hey, turn it off, go and pray. So David Wilkerson's story is an amazing encouragement to that. One night, as he was going out of his study, he picked up a Time magazine, and there was a picture of these two and five more who had beaten a disabled um, boy to death. And they were on trial. And somehow or another, his heart was filled with compassion for them. And he started to weep. And he thought, this is strange. And then he felt that God called him to actually go. He's a country preacher, never been to New York, had no desire to go to New York. He collected enough money from his congregation to get himself there in his car and back. And then... Off he went, and he went into the judge, waving his Bible, with his Bible, and said, I want to talk to these guys. And, of course, he was tossed out. And, of course, the media thought it was great, took pictures of him, convinced him to hold his Bible up, so he looked like a lunatic, really. What did he think he was going to achieve? There he is, waving his Bible around. These guys had killed this disabled man, a boy, he, they deserved to go to jail. And here he is, waving his Bible around, saying God loved them. He felt an abject failure. His mother said, no, 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 you're not a failure. There are thousands like this. Then his grandfather, who'd been a preacher, said, hey, 
if you're going to actually think you're going to make a difference in New York, if you're going to make a difference in the um, wherever we're called to, you better get a really clear view of who God is. Because you're going to melt your icing sugar. You're, you're just too much of a wuss. You're not going to make it on the streets of New York. And so that's what he did. He consecrated himself to God. He laid himself before God. He got very clear ideas on what God thought about these street kids. And not only that, one of the girls he met, and you can tell I've been reading the book this weekend. It's really good, actually. You can get it for free on Kindle off Amazon. It doesn't cost you a dime. It's a good read. Maria was one of the girls who showed him around. He met. God was astounding stories. He he still wanted to see those kids that were in the photo, in the drawing there, but he couldn't go unless he got the parents' permission. So he drives into this region, parks his car, and then jumps out of the car and says to the kids on the street, can you tell me where so-and-so is, lives? And the kid says, is that your car? And he says, yeah. He says, you've parked just outside his door. So just miracle after miracle happened. But anyway, Maria said to, said to him, Preacher, if you want to see New York at its worst, you just drive across the Brooklyn Bridge and open your eyes. So this is what I want to go into talk about at this stage, is that hearing and seeing is really important. We don't just sit here and look at all this and go, yeah, yeah, that's me, and off we go. It, it's a case of developing this hearing and seeing things, guys. And the same for you teenagers. You know, I watch and see the amazing lives that you lead, the way you encourage one another and everything, the situations you live in, we all live in. I remember living in as a teenager and a child. It's a case of doing some hearing and some seeing. So there is a difference. Job, for example, said, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He was talking about God. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. <clears throat> in other words, if you think about it, there could be somebody making a tremendous racket over there in the foyer, but we wouldn't see them. We wouldn't know who they were, yeah? There could be somebody screeching out there, and we would all go, oh, poor Sunday school teachers, I wonder what's going on, but we'd have no idea. We wouldn't actually even have much of an idea if we just sort of pulled the door over and kind of peered through the door. We'd only have an idea if we did what um, Maria told David Wilkerson to do, which was actually go into the situation and sit there and think about it, yeah? So it's, it's, it's about getting close to God, but also close to the people involved, so hearing is far off. Seeing means you get close and it prompts you to action. Making sense? Awesome. Okay, so I found this amazing passage. I didn't even realize this before a couple of days ago, that Jesus worked like this too. Isn't this amazing? He was human. Look at this. Lazarus died. John 11. When he heard of Lazarus' death, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death, but he remained where he was for three days. Now, I think I've always understood that he did that purposely so that you could see a greater miracle here. Yeah? But there's a slightly different twist on it here. 
Then the, the bit in between that I haven't put on the slide there is 11.6 um, through to 32 when Martha comes out to meet him. He preaches a whole sermon to Martha. He talks about the resurrection and so forth. So he's, he's saying plenty of what God's going to do, but it still hasn't happened. Yeah. So he's saying, yeah, Martha, didn't matter that I wasn't here. You know, I'm the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is going to be raised, you know. So again, when we're kind of at a distance from a thing, we can talk about it. We can know about it. We can even say the truth about it. But nothing much happens. Yeah? I could know about my class, talk about my class, but until I get close to my students, nothing much is going to happen. Yeah? So, when Mary came where Jesus was, John eleven thirty two, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping... He groaned in the spirit. In other words, he was moved and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? So do you see the parallel with us and Jesus? When we get close and actually see the person's grief or see the person's trouble, we're moved to action. He said, okay, where's the tomb? Now I'm going to get going. Okay, they said to him, Lord, come and see. Not, oh, Lord, sit over and have a kai and hear about it. No, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He identified with the people. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them, loved him. Won't people feel like this about us too? I don't hear about these Christians that meet behind closed doors and do their thing on Sundays and maybe even in the middle of the week or maybe they rush past you because they're busy meeting all these commitments. They're actually going to cotton on and see how much you love people when you actually go where they are, spend time with them, yeah? I think it's pretty cool. But Jesus wept. Then Jesus said, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, he was moved again, came to the tomb. He spoke to Lazarus and Lazarus was raised. Yeah, so that, again, it's that kind of going from hearing to seeing to worship to actually getting some action. Um, sometimes in our secular worlds, we don't... Yeah, here we go. Next one. Okay, I just want to tell you about a guy that um, wrote some of these ideas as a philosopher. He's somebody that's really upheld really strongly in um, secular circles because he says something really different than what other people say. But in actual fact, he says stuff that's Bible. All right? So he's kind of touted as this fantastic philosopher, but he's actually saying Bible stuff. He says, if I address somebody... This is I, and I address Emma as thou. Sounds like an old-fashioned religious word, doesn't it? All it means is I'm seeing the Christ in Emma. Yeah? But I'm also seeing the Christ in somebody I've never met before. Okay? So the I 
and the thou. Everybody has been created. I've, I've never met you before, so the I and the, the thou. Every single person, every single one of those gang boys and all the hundreds of gang boys and girls and all the horrible rotten stuff that David Wilkerson came across, it's the I and the thou, yeah? This acknowledges the inherent spiritual value in all people and it affects the way we see ourselves and other people. I hope that's not a bit deep, but it's, it's definitely scriptural. We're to love others as we love ourselves. So, as I draw this to just a little bit of a close in terms of the ideas and we come back to, to who we are, I want us to think about fasting because that's what we're doing at the moment, yeah? So I want to just read Isaiah 58, the last part of it, or kind of the middle part of it really. He says, the beginning of Isaiah 58, he says, look, fasting isn't for you, it's for others. And then he says, verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. He will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You know, that's what we're after, isn't it? We're after the Lord's light, bright, shining light to be really evident in this place, aren't we? Yeah, not just a little few flickers. We're really wanting to see the apostolic influence. We're longing to see the extension of his kingdom. We're longing to see more than what the great stuff we've already seen. Yeah, We're longing to see it. And so what I can see in, in the way I've been reading is that a key is the verse I've got there. When you see the naked, that you cover him, this bit, not hide from your own flesh. So when you hide, when a little kid hides, they put their hands over their eyes and they say, you can't see me. Yeah, they assume that you can't see me, don't they? They can't see you, so they assume you can't see them. But if you're really hiding, if we were to play hide-and-seek now, how much fun would that be? We'd be tearing all over this place and we'd be getting out of sight, wouldn't we? Yeah? But God's, that's the very thing God's saying, don't do. Don't stay out of sight from your own flesh. Now, my own flesh is me and my weaknesses. Don't hide it. Don't say, oh, well... Oh, actually, I'm pretty good. So-and-so thinks I'm pretty good. Yeah, well, I did this well. and yeah. Oh, well, you know. No, 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 no. Have a look at your flesh and go, actually, 
there's a whole heap of things that I could do better. There's a whole heap of things that I could think better, or dream better, or pray better, or believe better, or love better. There's way things that I could do better. Sometimes we have a bit of a crisis, and people tell us so. I had a crisis a few years ago. Oh my goodness, one of my family members told me heaps. I cried for about a day. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that was a few years all kind of dumped on top. And then I was off to Tanzania, and it took me quite a while to learn how to kind of engage with that. And now we get on really well. But I tell you what, we didn't. And, you know, at a distance, I couldn't go and see this person. Uh, I was a bit scared to ring up. Uh, It's kind of like, okay, I better start finding out from God how I can front up to my own flesh and not hide from this. There's obviously a whole lot of things that I haven't done well. Good. Take it on the chin. Chonk. Let's learn. Yeah? And, and now it's good. It's great, actually. It's fantastic. I thought we'd go, oh, praise God for that. It's awesome. So when you see the naked that you cover and not hide from your own flesh, gosh, if you're married, the other person's one flesh from you, with you. No hiding. Sometimes it's like, oh. I can't even think how to answer that, Alan. I've no idea. Yeah. Oh, I'm busy. Yeah? No, 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 no hiding. Yeah, it might, might take me a while to think of a good answer or understand, but don't hide. Let's front it up together. Let's work it out together. My own children, my grandchildren. But I don't think our own flesh is meant in this passage to mean just our family. I think it's meant to mean humanity, okay? So don't hide away. Make sure that you have that ability or that willingness to actually engage. Now, I don't know about you, but I can go through a day without particularly engaging. I still do my job, still be mum, still still answer the WhatsApps, still answer the phone, still do the emails, but... Not necessarily engaging, yeah? So just as we draw this to a close, I want us to just focus on the last slide and let's just think about what it would be if we were to identify ourselves as I'm Sue, one who sees and bows down with eyes wide open. So when I think about that blank canvas, what can I see? What's my vision? What do I see around here? What do I see in myself, my own family, this community, the people I engage with every day? What do I see? Is my response bowing down, which humbles me and enables faith? And have I got my eyes wide open? In other words, I can see what I'm going to do about it. Yeah. So I find that that, for me, has helped me move on from thinking about, I do jobs. Of course I do jobs. But it's the quality of heart or the quality of engagement or the quality of thought or the quality of faith that makes the difference with how I do the jobs. Now just another little anecdote just to finish. Last weekend we were um, up at my brother's 70th birthday and I was sitting in a group with some cousins, and they started to talk about an issue that I'd heard about. And I kind of went, oh, 
yeah, well, didn't really like my Billy. I was just kind of like, well, okay. Had nothing to contribute. But here I am sitting around with my cousins, hearing their passion and going, oh, my goodness, this was actually part of my upbringing. I have this in common with you. In fact, I have this even more in common than you do because I don't remember you being particularly involved, but I was. My mother made sure we were involved. Oh, my goodness. So you're now passionate about this? So because I was studying this first, I went away from there going, okay, God, do you want me involved with this? Do you want me to actually engage with this community? I've lived out of that community for years and years and years. And things are beginning to open up to suggest that maybe we would. Wow, that's different. That puts a different kind of few squiggles on that blank canvas looking forward. Wow. So I'm not about to rush in with big boots and say, oh, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do something. I'm just holding it gently before the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you reckon? I'm bowing down, but I've got my eyes wide open that it's not easy. Yeah? So just encourage us to do the same, all of us. Same, same process. A couple of days ago, I can think of one of my classes. I was like, oh, they didn't get it. What can we do? Not you guys. <laughs> I could have been you guys. No, maybe it was you. I'll talk about you. No, I won't. <laughs> you know, and you kind of go, nah, they didn't get it. Okay, eyes wide open, they didn't get it. Yeah, there's not much time, they better get it. Okay, what can we do? Faith. Sometimes I sit up at night preparing and I can't go to sleep until I've got it. This is what we're doing tomorrow. Cool. Yeah? So it's having that faith, that engagement. So I hope I've encouraged you. I hope I've encouraged you that we're all meant to be an apostolic influence. But to do that, we'd better start to get our eyes open on who we're called to be. And by doing and to do that, I'm not talking about working ourselves out of, you know, doing more. We're talking about being more, seeing more, hearing more, understanding more. Paul said, let the eyes of your understanding be opened. Let's see more and let's engage more. So as I draw this to a close, I just would really love to be able to pray with, um, and not just me, I've got a whole group of people that are willing to come and pray. You know, if there's any of you that are sitting here and you're going, well, I don't know about this business of knowing God. He's not particularly close to me at all. If you're feeling like that, this morning would be a great job, great time to make a change with that. Because as, as I've been sharing, I think the story of Balaam, the story of David Wilkerson, both of those stories show us very clearly that God loves us and he wants to be close to us and he wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be involved in what matters to us. So if there's anybody who'd like to um, make that sort of first step this morning of saying, yeah, well, I'd like to have that kind of relationship with God in a moment when we get going with the music perhaps now. Um, I'll give you an opportunity to come forward and there's some folk here that would love to share with you about that. Cecil's going to do that this morning, just um, sit with you, um, help you to understand how to pray, help you to understand how to make that initial step to making the initial process of 
joining up with God. Because I tell you what, I did that. I was about 17, I think, and it's brilliant. But there may be some of you also that would really love to have a little bit more light on your blank canvas. Would I'm not saying it's all blank, but you know what I mean. The, the what next? You know, if you'd, you'd really like support to understand how God might be able to walk through whatever you're going through with him, with you, both of you together. We've got a whole bunch of people that would be more than willing to, to pray with you. So let's just sing our...